Hello, welcome back to another episode of the Code 3 Tournament Podcast. I'm joined today by Captain Micah Genslinger and Lieutenant Kloof. Hello, gentlemen. Welcome. Hello. Hello. So, Cap, let's start with you. Do you want to just tell the folks a little bit about kind of how you got where you are today? How'd you get in the fire service and what are you doing now? Yeah, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> so, I've been on the career staff with South Burlington for, uh, I'm in my 21st year now. Um, I started with South Burlington, actually, um, on the call staff in, uh, I was actually running across the street from the high school uh, way back in uh, the late 90s. Um, kind of worked my way up from there um, and then uh, got on the call staff. Uh, or got on the career staff, um, was promoted to uh, lieutenant in uh, 2005, and in 17 was promoted to captain. Um, and that's so right now I supervise uh, R shift one. Um, and uh, I currently hold the rank of an EMT. Um, uh, Lieutenant Plouffe and I went through our uh, advanced EMT digger. Actually, it was intermediate back then. Yep. Um, all right. EMTI together. Uh, so I've held a couple different ranks all the way back down to uh, ECA uh, way back in the day. Oh, perfect. Um, so I've had a couple EMS uh, certifications. That's awesome. And are you from Vermont? You're from the area? Or? Uh, if you ask a Vermonter, no. Um, I was born in New Hampshire. I moved to Vermont when I was two. Um, and I actually grew up in South Burlington. Oh, nice. So cool. All right. Lieutenant Plouffe, hello. Hello. Welcome. Nice to have you yeah, out this you. far uh, in Jericho. It's yeah, a miracle. We made it. Whole different zip code. Yeah, right? So yeah. so how did you get involved in the fire service? You got a long history, right? Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, pretty much grew up in the in the South Burlington Firehouse. My dad worked there for 30-some years. And, uh, yeah, so from the time I was four until teenage years, I was in that firehouse almost every day. And then uh, tested for Burlington in the late 80s, got on and then declined the job due to some unforeseen things. And then uh, went back in 2000 and, uh, yeah, stayed there. I worked, worked at Central almost 10 years. Spent uh, some time on what was then Rescue 2, which is Ambulance 2 now. And then now uh, work in the old North End on the Quint uh, as the lieutenant, B-shift, and... Uh, yeah, it's been a, a great job, but like Micah, you know, you make lifelong relationships. Micah and I have been together through our whole careers, moving up, you know, through the ranks and the different schools and diff different lessons you learn. And yeah, so now as we look back, it goes by really quickly. That's one thing nobody tells you. Your career's over before it begins, so. Yeah, that's the truth. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the cool kind of <clears throat> circles that we always see in Fire and EMS is the fact that. I'm now assigned to Ambulance 2, and I work for you, and you were on Ambulance 2 a long time ago, and it's just kind of this cool reciprocal relationship, and even though this is technically an EMS podcast, like even the fact that it's code 321, and bonus points if you know what that is, that's the NIFRS code for the EMS call. Oh, like, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I should know that. You <laughs> know, know how many those I put in? I know. Most <laughs> people don't, like, they're not in that zone, and they're not in front of the computer, but yeah. anyway, so like the, the cool reciprocal relationship is you know, the senior guy turning the junior guy into the senior guy. And even though this is technically an EMS podcast, you know, our name kind of gives a nod to Firebase EMS services because right. that's how this company started. And a lot of our employees work that way. And I think one of the things that I see that's missing in some EMS agencies, especially privatized EMS, is that development of your people by the senior people. You kind of have these preceptors with a couple years ahead of you and they kind of get their thing done. They move to the next thing. Whereas in the fire service, you really got that senior junior relationship. Well, it's funny you say that because it, I, I see it a little bit differently than you do. I feel like EMS has come so far eons from where it was when Micah and I started. 
and the providers are so much more educated and have so many more skills and so much more to offer. Honestly, and Micah would attest to this, when we started, our treatment was get them to the trauma center. That was what our job was, get them there alive and let the doctors do their work. And you young people do miraculous work in the field now. That we, we would never even, we didn't even have glucometers, for God's sake. When we, we didn't, yeah. I mean, it's, it's crazy how far it's come. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, Sean's absolutely right. You know, when he and I were, were riding on the ambulance, it, it was literally 90 something percent of the, the people that you transported, you transported code three just so you could get them to the hospital so they could get care. Yeah. Right. Like, I mean, yeah. for a stroke patient, you would get vital signs and, give them oxygen. And now, I mean, that was it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, so there, it, it has definitely changed. It's definitely changed. Um, you know, and, and Sean's absolutely right. I mean, the stuff that, that the people that we supervise do in the field every day is, is leaps and bounds above, above, you know, what we did. And I think that's a, a big thing for a supervisor. Um, I know it's a little bit off our topic, but you have to trust the people below you um, and especially the people on the ambulances, you know, or your paramedics or, you know, your, your advanced EMTs. And when they say, no, we're going to stay and we're going to do this, it might be against everything that, that, that I feel is right. But um, I always listen to those, those guys because those guys know what they're doing. They're well-trained. Um, they, they educate themselves. You know, it's completely different than when, than when, uh, we, when we were on the ambulance. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's really interesting. When I was looking for a home after coming out of medical school, I did some time at Ambulance One. It just wasn't like the perfect fit for me. That's like, for lack of a better term, it's just kind of turn and burn. You know, you're downtown, right. you just zip them up, zip them back. It's not really anything too glamorous. You know, and I, I started thinking, you know, maybe I'm going to get out to Ambulance too. you know, get a little more transport time, a little, a little more medicine, that kind of stuff. And Lieutenant Plouffe actually recruited me because his senior firefighter was getting promoted. And he's been a medic forever you know like I think he was there when they first invented paramedic you know and, <laughs> and he, he was a super solid guy and just the the ability of me to go over there and work on the ambulance and have that mentor it was amazing I mean I've talked about Brad before but we'd come back from a call at three in the morning he'd be sitting there at the kitchen table like oh man how was it how, what'd you do like oh yeah. what meds you give and like that's such a cool testament to his patience and helping me kind of develop a little bit and I remember when Lieutenant Plouffe recruited me, he was like, hey, listen, like I run a SEAL team over at Station 2. Like everybody's got a function. Like I'm looking for a medic. That's what I need. I'm not just going to plug anybody in. You know, that's the role I want. I want you to come over, work for Brad, you know, get comfortable, get in that role. And then when Brad gets promoted, you're going to be the guy. Yeah. You know, and it was really funny. We were, we were actually talking the other day and someone said something. And they're like, oh, Lieutenant Poof, like, when's the last time you did an IV? And he's like, listen, the only time I'm going to do an IV is when Nick is in cardiac arrest. He's <laughs> like, that, that, like, and I have to do an IV yeah, on Nick. Like, yeah. I'm in. But other than that, and, like, that's my and you know, I'm like it too. Like, I don't, I, my job <clears throat> is to keep him safe. That, yeah. And that's what I do. Yeah. I, I don't, I trust everything they do. If they make a mistake, I'll have their back until the end. And that'll, you know, that, that'll be that. I mean, you, you go through that in your career. You know, I've been in some really, really tight spots where I've had to, you know, really go to bat for people, but that that's what you signed up for. Right. Yeah. I mean, he hey. does an awesome, he does an awesome job with me. Like whenever we go on a call, just like what you talked about, like he knows, I know what I'm doing. And 
And uh, for example, like I've done a, a bunch of cardio versions recently, like probably four of them. And uh, that really freaks out officers if they've never oh, yeah. seen that before. Yeah, yeah. Like especially kind of a, <clears throat> you know, a guy that grew up in that system that you're talking about when they were on the bus, it was like, put them on the backboard, 15 liters per minute, let's yeah. rock and roll. Like, you know, and for me to be like putting pads on this person that's talking and then I'm like, listen, this is going to hurt. And the person's like, <laughs> yeah. but the officer's like, wait a minute, wait, yeah. wait, 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 wait. Well, yeah, like, yeah. Well, he's well, fine. He's talking. Like, yeah. And it's like, listen, you know, we got to do what we got to do, man. Like, trust me. And uh, he's really great about that. And, you know, another testament to that is it didn't happen overnight. You know, we started slow. You know, I tried to communicate with him and let him know what I'm thinking. And, um, and believe it or not, Lieutenant Plus is kind of a closet EMT. He's a he's a master. Oh, Micah. Guy. He's, not Micah. Too <laughs> he's good. He's good. There have been a bunch of calls we've been on and, you know, we'll be standing there and I'll be like, man, I can't really figure this out. And he'll like lean in and be like, you think it's PE? And I'm like, oh, oh, yep, yep, yep. That, that checks out. All yeah. right, let's rock and roll. You know, yeah. and so that's pretty cool. Well, you learn things just by observation, right? Like if you, like I found in this job, if you're open-minded enough, you can, you can learn a lot more than you can teach. You know, like I, I've learned a ton from all the young people that everybody's got something to offer. That's, and that's how you have to approach it or you just won't be successful. Yeah. Because it's hard to be successful <laughs> And Micah will attest to this. You're only going to get three or four chances to promote in your career in a small department. Yeah. You never go to fires. Yeah. You know, so you can't prove yourself. There's no real proving ground. The only that the only way you can ever get any satisfaction or justification is from your peers, right? When yeah. another guy comes up to you and says, You did good. You know, that's that's your only that's the, your only validation. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> well, it's funny, like, you know, it used to be that the medicals were kind of something that we just did in between significant car accidents or, you know, uh, the right. occasional job or whatever. But, you know, now like you, you really start to cut your teeth and especially like the new guys coming in, you know, you, you guys really start to cut your teeth on those advanced medical calls. Right. And that, that's where you're getting a lot, a lot more of your, um, your, you know, in-depth calls and those good cardio verts or the, you know, the, the smooth, um, you know, the smooth cardiac arrest or, um, you know, like the, the smooth overdose where nobody's even excited anymore. And it's just like, we're going in and, and we're doing everything that we need to do. And then the patient's on the backboard or, you know, on the stretcher and here we go, we're off, you know, whereas like before it was, you know, we were talking about it earlier, right? Like the, the, uh, the, the overdose where it was like mass chaos. Like, I mean, yeah. when, when we first got on the job, an overdose was just like complete chaos. And now it's just like, boom, boom, boom. And just these steps that get done. And, um, you know, I think that that starts at the top and it goes, it goes all the way, it goes all the way through. Um, and with the training and the faith in your people and all that. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think at least I can speak with the Lieutenant here when we go to fires, when we go to sick medicals or whatever, his ability to kind of stay calm and just step back and let me do my thing. You know, he, uh, he runs point on facilitating everything I need. Like he runs the comms for me. I don't have to worry about my stupid radio. I don't have to worry about like, you know, who's that guy in the other room? Like I just go in, I look at the monitor, I do my thing. I push my meds, I take care of it. And I'll just turn around. I'll be like, Hey, Lieutenant, like I'm ready to rock and roll. And he'll be like, okay. And he'll get the backboard in. He'll yep. get the sofa moved. And I, I love that relationship. And I think one of the things that us young people have to do, you know, like Mark works for us and him and I go back and forth a lot. Cause we kind of were in the same trajectory. I kind of see, Mark as my Lieutenant Ploof. We were in the same A class. We both went to flight school. We both got all that stuff done. And one of the things we have to be careful of is like the Lieutenant said, we have all this crazy knowledge and interventions and all this other stuff, 
but we can't look at people like you and Lieutenant Bluff and be like, ah, they don't, they didn't go to medical school. Like you have experience and knowledge and these like, you know, these spidey senses and these like six sense that we don't have yet because you have like between the two, you got like 40 years on the job. So we need to be cognizant to use that experience to our advantage. Like if you're like, Hey man, like we need to go. They got tearing back pain. Like I've seen an aortic dissection. I'm pretty sure that's what it is. Like I'm not a medic, but I'll tell you right now, I've seen that. Like, yeah. let's go. And I think it's important that like with him, he, he trusts me a lot with my medicine, but if he says something to me on a medical call, he doesn't really talk that much on a medical about the patient. So if he says something to me, I'm really like, Hmm. And I really think about it and process it and take that in my, in my account because he's not the person that's always like, prep, 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 do right. this, do that. Right. You know, and I think it's important to have that, you know, kind of dichotomy to it. Well, I mean, we've both been where things went wrong, right? Yeah. With other medics where, yeah. where I go, like, Nick, what's he doing? You know, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Because we, we do have, yeah. you, you know, like you, Micah, too, when somebody's riding in a different, off your crew, you're, you don't know them, you don't, and it, it's way different. You know, you, yeah. you, you don't, you do have to develop that trust. If it's not there, it takes a long time to build and it takes a very short time to dissipate. Yep. Like I've had a couple of medics where I tell them you don't need to come back. Yeah. You know, because it, and not because of a personality thing, it's just, or not even a style thing. It's just, they truly don't have the foundation and the knowledge to do what they're doing. And I don't want to be responsible for them. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's just, because it is scary. Like you, like you guys could almost build a human being. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I was in EMT school three weeks before. I figured out an MI was a heart attack. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I mean, it's come a long way. It's I know. very different. Yeah. It is yeah. nuts. It is nuts, you know. And one of the things I learned pretty early in my career that caused friction in the past was not being transparent enough with my officers. Like when we, because obviously in Burlington, kind of like you guys, we our ambulance runs to multiple districts. So we have different engine officers, different ladder officers, different tower guys, chiefs, whatever. And every one of those has a different experience in EMS. And some of them... You know, back in like the early 2000s, they ran for three years. They put everyone on a backboard, blast them with a non-rebreather and zipped them up to the hospital code three. They'd never seen paramedicine, right. you know? So we go to these people and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to do like a posterior EKG or some weird thing like that. They're like, what are you doing? That's on their back. Like, that's wrong. <laughs> yeah. Like, I know no yeah. much, but that's what, you know? <laughs> and so part of that that I got to do is be better about being transparent, you know? And that was hard for me because I, I get in the zone and I kind of do my thing. And somebody like Lieutenant Ploof, he just lets me do my thing and he's usually on the same page as me. But other officers, like, you know, I'll be running a stroke algorithm and they'll be like, uh, so you want the backboard? And it's like, no. And they're like, well, it's a trauma. And you're like, no. And then you got this little thing and you got to yeah, try yeah. to figure it out where if I come in and I'm like, hey, listen, I think they're having a stroke because of these things. They're like, all right, I got you. Yeah. That's important. Well, I mean, and it is, I've been on calls. I went on a call, I remember maybe 10 years ago, I was on the, on the ambulance and Aaron Collette, the chief of Williston, was then a captain on engine three. And we rolled up, and this kid had both of his wrists broken. And, and, and it's like he fell off the porch. And I go, okay, are your legs broken? And he's like, no. I go, then walk to the ambulance. And Aaron Collette got really annoyed. And, and, I, and we, weren't, we were kind of on the same page, but not really. And uh, after, I'm like, Cap, like, what's wrong with you? He goes, Sean, look up. He fell off the third floor porch. Ooh, right? So yeah, we took yeah. – we took, but it was my own like lack of awareness, like it was tunnel vision, right? I yeah. did, I didn't. All I had to do was look up. You right. could see where the railing was broken. Yeah. So here we treated this kid like a drunk college kid who broke both his wrist, which he had. But we took no other precautions for him. Like those are the kind of things that that's how you learn, right? As you as your role changes, like he picked up on that immediately. Of course, he was very good at those kind of things anyway. But yeah. that just speaks to the whole 
evolution and how you have to trust one another. And, and you do have to listen, you know, if somebody's, because you, like you, did you used to do this, Mike? I used to hate this. You would roll up on an ambulance call and like the officer or somebody would try to tell you something and you'd be completely dismissive of them. But they knew what they, yeah. they maybe didn't know the right <clears throat> terminology, yeah. but they knew what was happening, but you would just dismiss them, like you said, Nick, and go into your own role. And, yeah. you know, because remember, they used to teach you all those little acronyms and yeah. you'd try to be studious about saying everything in the right order and having no idea really what was wrong with the patient. You just yeah. knew you had to ask these questions. Right. You know, like, what's the last thing you ate? Well, the steering wheel of the car is the last thing I <laughs> yeah. ate. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. uh, how relevant is that? But that's but that's how much different things are now. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and it's funny how, how your role, <clears throat> as you move through your career, whether it's, you know, on an ambulance or whether it's in the fire service, how you how your your view of the scene changes, right? Like, you know, when you're when you're on the bus, it's it's one patient. It's that one person. And then the further out and the more senior you get, it's, you know, it's almost you start to really start to expand out your view. And now it's, you're looking at the whole scene and you're, you're taking in the whole scene and, you know, things that, that don't add up or things that do add up or, you know, um, I can always remember like when I was on the ambulance, like it was only that one patient. It was the one patient in the living room. But now that I am an officer, it's not the the patient in the living room. It's who's in the other room that I don't know is here. Yep. Or who's upstairs and why are they upstairs? Yep. You know, and how are, how are they going to get this patient out of here and what do I need to move? Or, um, you know, you really, you really start to become like a little bit more of a grunt work person, the more senior you get, um, and not really interacting with the patient as much. Yeah, absolutely. We actually had a, we had to have a come to Jesus when I was downtown with our officer, me and Rob Pettit, who doesn't work there anymore. We're on the ambulance and we go to these calls at, you know, Rasputin's <clears throat> or RJ's or Red Square, whatever, you know? And uh, those places get pretty hairy at like 150, 2 o'clock in the morning. Everybody's all liquored up and they're all jumping on you and doing whatever. We had this one officer, he'd be in there like doing a finger stick. And it's like, yeah. bro, we got this. Like, we, we, we'll take care of that. Like, what I need you to do is make sure that, that guy with the pocket knife is not climbing on me. Like, right. you know, and as soon as we had that come to Jesus was awesome. Like, he would just like sheepdog right around us. We yep. do our thing, load him right up, get him right out. All good. But like, it was you know, we talked about this in the crew resource management podcast at like 100% concentration theory. If I have to focus, you know, 50% of my concentration on the surroundings, my patient's only getting 50%, right. you know, but having that officer taking care of the surroundings, I can start to get closer to that 100% and give them kind of the best yep. the care that I can. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. So the other thing we always like to talk about is on the show, we're trying to be a little more positive about EMS too. You know, there's a lot going on and, you know, it can be pretty stressful, but do you guys have any, we'll start with you, Cap. Do you have any calls that you remember where, you know, you, you had this experience and it kind of stayed with you throughout, throughout your career and you're like, man, like we did it. Like we were doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think like in my, in my 20, little over 20 years that, that I've been on the job, I, I've uh, only had a handful of saves. Um, and you know, having a save walk into the firehouse, um, just a few weeks later with no, you know, no deficiencies. Um, you know, that was like, you know, we got him to the hospital. We felt good about getting him to the hospital. And then also like he walks into the firehouse and it, that, you know, that kind of like blew your mind and that, that sticks with you, you know, um, or even ones that may not have the best outcome. Um, you know, we've had some, some pretty significant, um, traumatic calls and unfortunately the patients died, but, you know, being able to observe, you know, the, the technical extrication that we had to do to get the person out, 
and how smooth it ran and getting that patient to the hospital alive. You know, like those are, those are all check marks for me. You know, like I, I remember one that we had that, um, the patient ended up dying and, and a couple of the guys were kind of beating themselves up over it. And I was like, listen, like we got that patient to the hospital alive. Like that's a win for us. Right. If it happened at the hospital, I mean, we don't know what happened there and it, it is what it is, but, um, you know, we did what we were supposed to do and we did it well. We gave that person the best chance that they could have. Yeah, absolutely. I know uh, one thing that surprisingly is simple, but I always take a lot of solace in is I had a pretty rough call a while back and I was beating myself up about it. And I, uh, Lieutenant Bear was on the call and he came in and he just like Simon, he's like, listen, if his ticket's punched, his ticket's punched. Yeah. Like, don't, don't do that to yourself. Like, listen, you did what you need to do. Name one thing you did wrong on that call. You didn't do anything wrong. Like that guy's ticket was punched way ahead of us ever getting there. Like yeah. it is what it is. If you're, you know, and uh, it's simple, but you know, I, I took a lot of solace in that. Yeah, we used to have an old captain, and he his, his 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 he would always say, you know, if the good Lord wants him, who are we to stand in the way? Yeah, and it's simple, a one line thing, but it, it that's so true what you're saying. I'm really with Micah. I don't I I don't know that I've really had a call where I can be like, oh my God, we were the difference. I don't know about that, but what I can say is, like, I've held the hand of a lot of dying people. We, I've watched a lot of people die with dignity, uh, you know, and, I, and I've comforted a lot of families in a really hard time. Yeah. And those are all wins. Like those, uh, like, because like you said, I think the die's already cast. Th- that was their day. That was their time. But you made it more human for people or you made it, you know, not easier, but yeah, I, yeah, I guess more human and a little bit of dignity. And, and, and just like I've, I've held the hand of a lot of mothers and a lot of wives while you worked on, you know, their, their loved ones. And, and we know the outcome before we even start or finish, but still you, you at least give them a chance to come to grips with the passing of their loved one and, you know, and say goodbye. Like, it, like, it, so yeah, I don't know that I've ever had like Micah where somebody walks in and says, Oh, you were the difference. But, uh, I've been called a lot of things, but the difference between life and death isn't one of them. So. Yeah. But you know, I mean, it's, you bring, you bring up an excellent point, right. Of like, of being able to, to bring, you know, bring, being able to talk with that person and really, you know, that loved one or that family member and have that connection with them. And e- even on somebody who's, who's not dying, right. Just being able to say, you know, the guy, the guys are doing this or they're doing that. And the reason that we're doing that is so we can get that information up to the hospital before we get there. Right. Like I, I always think about those, that, that wife who's all upset, her husband's having chest pain and you guys are taking forever to get him out of here. Well, really the paramedics are doing a 12 lead and then they're adjusting what medications they're going to give them. And, but just giving them that education, like you can see it, bring them down, right? you know, and um, I know just enough in the EMS to, you know, to get me in trouble. Right. But, <laughs> right. but being able to, to talk with that civilian and be like, well, this is why the guys are doing that. We're going to be out in your driveway for a little bit longer because of these reasons. And they're like, oh, okay. That makes total sense. Yeah. And I think one of the things I never took lightly when I was watching him and Brad work together, they worked together for a long time is they go to really rough calls and I'd be on overtime on a suppression piece or something. I'd see them working and, you know, Lieutenant Plouffe would go to fame and be like, listen, that's the guy like, if something good's going to happen, that's the guy in there who's going to take care of it. And I really took that to heart. So when I kind of mentored under Brad and came out, you know, now being his medic on his shift, his house, like I want to get as much education as I can and be the best possible person I can be and make the best decisions I can and treat the patient the best because I want him to be able to 
you know, look at that mom or that wife or that sister. Like, listen, Nick's in there. Like, it does not, there's not right. a single yeah. better person on the shift right now that can help that guy. Like, if there's any good that can be done, you got it right now. Yep. Well, and plus, when you leave and you say we did the best that we could, you want them to believe that. Yeah. And you need to believe it. You know what I mean? Yeah. You can't leave anything there. You you got to leave it all on the table and do the best you can, which which you do. I've yeah. never seen a case where we didn't. Uh, you know, you see some some cases where, you know, as you know, the whole professions turned into social work. Yeah. We're not always as patient as yeah. we could be, but yeah. the people always get the clinical care they need. Yeah. Yeah. And I think one of the things that, you know, I, that was a big driving factor for me to go to medic school and kind of progress my education is I spent a, lo- a long time as an A. I spent almost eight years as an A and I didn't, I felt like there were cases where I could have helped more and I couldn't because of my training or because I couldn't push the med, you know, somebody in a cardiac arrhythmia that's fixable. And I was just sitting there as an A, you know, and I want to be that guy that I have all my meds. I got my monitor. I got my paramedic cert and anything pre-hospital I can do. Like it's just plug and play. Like, you know, and that was a huge factor for me. That's a good point, Nick, that you bring up because you're right. It's been a long time. And I'm sure Micah would say this too. We used to leave a lot of calls feeling completely helpless and hopeless, you know, and we don't feel that way anymore. Like I can remember one of my close friends died on the beach right down the street from my house. And I, surrounded by doctors and they're like you have to intubate them and i'm like we can't yeah and they're like then give us the equipment and we will and i'm like we don't even have the equipment and people were so befuddled by that yeah you know but that's how far it's come like and and i still remember i like i went to that man's funeral i i held his wife and it took me years to explain to her that we we really didn't have the equipment or training like people because it's so funny. I'm sure you hear it in your town too, Micah. Everybody says, oh, the paramedics are here. Yeah. Well, for the first 15 years of our career, we, we that was a lot. Yeah. yeah, that wasn't yeah. true. Yeah. You know, but it, yeah, it's really, that's been probably the most positive change in my career is uh, carbon monoxide detection in paramedicine. Oh, that has saved I, way more lives than any part 100%. of the fire service. Yep. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I think one of the kind of dramatic examples I had recently, because sometimes it's not the most dramatic of examples, right? It's just kind of day in, day out, was, you know, we had that guy that we talked about coming in from one of the nursing homes, you know, on the on the brink of death, yeah. just terrible heart rhythm, you know, heart rate in the 200s, AFib RVR, no blood pressure. Like I climb in the back of the ambulance, he's gray, like, hey, like no response, nothing, no pulses, no like, like you know, uh, radio pulses or anything like that. Immediately cardioverterm, like they make us do a thousand times in paramedic school, you know, 30 seconds to a minute later, he's like, holy crap, my chest hurts. Oh, I'm mad at you, blah, blah. But, but hey, <laughs> like, like he's talking in the hospital, telling him about drug allergies, like communicating, like got a blood pressure of like 100 over whatever, his heart rate's half of what it was. And for me, it was like, holy crap, man, like I spent – almost two years doing that stupid drill in that stupid, you know, little lab room of VTC, just going over and over and over. Okay. You have no palpable blood pressures, a hemodynamically unstable, like just over and over and over. And then here we go. You climb in the ambulance that pulls across the front ramp and you're like, Holy crap. And you charge it, shock them and they get better. Yeah. And that was like a huge deal for me because, you know, four years ago, I would have looked at that guy and been like, oh, man, like, diesel, <laughs> yeah. let's go. You you came to the wrong spot. <laughs> yeah, right? And and I'd never wanted to be in that situation again, and I, I felt like I could progress through paramedicine and enjoy it and do a good job at it. And I, I remember those cases. You know, I talked about on the one of the previous podcasts, uh, Partners and Why We Do It, I talked about the guy we had from a house fire whose airway was closing, and I couldn't do anything about it. I just sat there and drove to the hospital. I was like, holy crap, holy crap, holy crap. And now I want to be able to, you know, go on these calls, and whether it's, 
the lieutenant or Eric, you know, even on a call last night, like Eric always, you know, kind of pads my ego a little bit. And it's like, Hey, listen, we got a paramedic Nick back here. He's going to take good care of you. Like we got you. Like you got the highest level possible care you can. And, uh, I take a lot of pride in that. I don't take it lightly. And I always appreciate, you know, the lieutenant backing me up on that. So I think that's important. Well, well, I mean, it go and it goes so much farther than that. I, you know, like the fire we had the other night with the two fatalities. Now, the fire chief got a call from that kid's stepfather, and and that was what the guy. That was the only comfort the guy had. He goes, "Listen, I know that my stepson died, but I also know that you guys gave him the only chance he had of survival." You know what I mean? So, and so that's what really that's what I think of us. Like, what we're your last hope, right? Like, or you guys, especially with the paramedicine, but I. You just it just opens up the opportunity to make a difference rather than just stand there and be part of the problem. And that's 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 big. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely have had a ton of experiences on the ambulance, much more so than the fire side. I mean, you guys said it before. We're not going to as many fires. And even when we are, they're not they're not quite as dramatic as they used to be. I mean, even that, you know, the one we went to, that was probably the most dramatic one I've been to in a long time. Yeah. You know, everything else is much more of like, oh, your couch is on fire. Let's take care of that for you. you know? <laughs> yeah. And uh, and I haven't seen one like that in a long time. But every single day on the ambulance, I'm doing something for somebody, you know, and even it could be simple as taking pain away. It could be as simple as, you know, just slowing the heart down, speeding it up a little bit, doing whatever. Every single day I have the ability to make somebody better. And then they're like, hey, man, thanks. Like, I really appreciate right. it. Like, I feel better. You yeah. Know? And that that feels good to me. But it comes with an attitude, right? Like you got you have to want to do that, right? Yeah, I absolutely. mean, because a, a large percentage of those calls, you could also probably just deliver them to the hospital, right? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. But but you, if you have the education and the tools, and you want to use them, and you have the confidence to use them, I, that that's the one pitfall I see. There's many, not many, but some medics that I run into who have all the knowledge and skill, but they don't have the confidence to use it. Yeah. And I think that stuff comes, a lot of it comes from clinical. A lot of it comes from the mentorship. You know, I had Nick Perkoff on and he talked a little bit about that. You know, the first time you do a high risk treatment shouldn't be by yourself with some critical patient. You know, you should have had an opportunity to do those things, Yeah. you know, and, and what I always say, especially like with something like the IV pump, I mean, that's kind of a funky little machine. It's got like a little Tetris snake style menu. It's hard to figure out what to do. The concentrations are weird. But it just sits on that truck. It's just sitting there staring at you every single day, every single shift. You probably got a whole box full of expired IV meds downstairs somewhere. <laughs> and like people would always kind of, you know, make fun of me for a while because I'd go down there. I'd grab like some old Norepi. I'd mix it up. I'd do whatever. I'd throw it on the pump. Like every day on truck check, I'd just pick one med and I'd mix it up, throw it on there, go through the menu. And I tell you, like when you have somebody sick and they're like, man, we need leave fed right now. Like if you got that muscle memory and you're like, yeah, I got you. No problem. And you just hit the buttons and it runs like it's amazing, you know, and I think that stuff plays a big difference. But Sean, you, you mentioned that that attitude, right, and ha- having that attitude to want to help. And, you know, I think that that comes um, from the person, but I also think that that comes from from the people senior to them, right? Whether you're on an ambulance or whether you're in a firehouse, um, you know, that ability to to want to help and that that motivation and um, you know, come, comes from your senior people and even the, the, the ability to, um, be calm on an incident. Um, you know, even back when we were, had UVM responding with us, um, I I had at the time, and, and I mean, I'm sure if she was still in, she would still be phenomenal EMT, but Maureen Leahy was an amazing yep. EMT. Right. And like, it didn't matter. I mean, we went to some hairy calls and I was like, I 
like I would look to her and she was always just calm, cool and collected. And I mean, I kind of took that from her and from my first captain who, um, you know, Don McKenzie, I no, mean, yeah. you know, like you, you couldn't excite the guy, nope. even if you blew a firecracker up <laughs> in his, in his lap. Um, you know, but like having that and setting that tone, you know, that that's key. Um, and it also, you know, the, the attitude that you, that you bring in and you, then you instill that in your people below you. Yeah, absolutely. I think everybody's looking up at you guys, whether you realize it or not. I think you two definitely do. But, you know, even the senior firefighters riding up or, you know, even, you know, somebody like Mark, you know, that you get a new probie and they're looking at Mark and they're seeing how he's thinking and operating what he's doing. And one of the reasons I love working for Ploof and a lot of people want that coveted station Two B slot is because you kind of always do the right thing, even when no one's watching. Like, I remember you gave that news girl your fire coat like it's funny but like what like she's cold you know and you get yeah. her coat like it is what it is you know and you know that you know stuff I like did that have to tell her to make sure she brought it back when nobody was looking though. yeah right yeah no i know you know just stuff like that you know or we went to a call the other day you know a, a guy we go to all the time you know he's he's got some troubles and you know the pizza guy put the pizza on his oven he was had his oven on because he's trying to stay warm and burned up almost lit his kitchen on fire but all his pizza's incinerated you know and you're just sitting there we pick him up we take care of him and he's like what kind of pizza was it we got you like, and we ordered pizza and delivered it, you know, and maybe it was good karma. Cause I think we got a big fire that night. Yeah, but, we, yeah we did. You know, but it just, it just, no, but you're right. It'd be, <clears throat> you're right. You know, and I think that guys forget that everybody has a story. Everybody's somebody's mother or somebody's daughter yeah. or something. And somebody cares about that person, no matter, you know, how many times we deal with them or how, how many times they get us angry or get us upset somebody cares about them obviously because somebody called us to help them right yeah. so and especially in today's climate all the events through the summer you know with the the political unrest and the social unrest and and you know we we got ourselves in some pretty tough spots but that's that's the job now yeah, yeah. you know and, and it took some soul searching like i i had a conversation with my mentor woody over the summer and and, and he's like listen those, that's your job now. The job has changed. It's not going to fires anymore. It's not doing all this high-speed, life-saving stuff. It's dealing with social injustice and psychiatric issues. and all. So if you can't do it, you need to get out because that's the job now. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and as, as silly as the one-liner is, um, you know, we might not think it's an emergency, but it's somebody's emergency. Like, right. if you go into it with that attitude— Right. Like somebody called 911 for some reason. Right. You know, I mean, and like you think about like how how annoying are the, you know, the midnight smoke detectors chirping. Right. But you go in there and you walk in the door and it's this new mother who's right. completely beside herself because she can't figure out why her detectors are going off. She's worried about her kid. She's worried about work. She's worried about this. Right. And you're just like, all right, well, you know, we sweep the house for 15 minutes. We don't find anything. We change a couple you know, detector batteries and all of a sudden she's going to have a good night's sleep. Right. You know, I mean, was it life-saving? No, it wasn't. But for somebody, we made their day better. Yeah, absolutely. There's an old quote. I think it's from a Chicago fire chief. I don't remember where I saw it, but it was on a, on a wall. It said, uh, you know, when they call nine one, they don't expect two brain dead firefighters in a pickup truck. They want <laughs> two uh, decathlon brain surgeon rocket scientists to come solve all their problems. Yeah. You know, yeah. and we're just kind of the catch all, you know, <laughs> like think about how many calls you've gone to. And it's like, yeah, I called my doctor. He wasn't available. I called my mom. She can't come over. I called this. I called that. You know, we went on a call a while back, maybe over the summer. And it's just a little bambino, as you say. And it just it just didn't 
we couldn't find a home for it. You know, the mom was sick and in the hospital admitted the dad wasn't allowed to have contact with the kid. And I remember you telling me, like, listen, you do whatever you need to do to make sure that kid's safe. Like, yeah. We got more ambulances around. We'll take care of that. We got five suppression pieces. Like, yeah. We'll get that kid. We yeah. Remember, Nick, we stayed there a long, long time. Yeah. But, but it was a, it was kind of one of those weird things. Mike, like, this, we roll up to one of the impoverished neighborhoods and there's this old Nepalese guy holding an infant. And I'm like, what? It, nobody can understand a word anybody's right. saying. Right. But like Nick said, we, we finally extrapolated through a lot of different resources that the mom had been transported to the hospital. The dad had a relief from abuse order, couldn't take the kid, although he was going to try to take the kid until, well, he, he, was. until he got arrested. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I finally tell Nick, I go, take this baby somewhere it's safe. Yeah, you know, no. but that was an hour of detective work. Right. You know, that's just what the job is. Yeah. You know, and that, and that, that's exactly what it is. Like you said, you know, that, that guy just handed us the kid, you know, the older guy handed us the baby and just went inside and we're like, Hey, and he's like, no, no, no. And it's like, okay, we're going to take care of it. You know, we're going to do whatever we got to do. So, you know, uh, so I guess we'll just kind of conclude with, so when you got young guys, you know, young bucks like me rolling in and kind of, as you guys are winding down and kind of getting towards the golden years of your career, if you want to word it that way, <laughs> um, what do you feel like is important if you could consolidate all your experience to try to get across to these young guys? What, you know, let's start with you, Cap. Like, what are some things that you're thinking about that why you, you wish- always, Why are you always going to start with me? Rank, oh, I mean, rank. Just rank, I guess. Just a habit. <laughs> Knee jerk, I guess. You wanted the extra trumpet, <clears throat> you, you got it. Yeah, yeah. You, you can always delegate, too. You can delegate. Um, you know, I, I think I'll just go back to customer service. You know, I've, I've always tried to instill that in, in, in the firefighters. So, you know, for me, it's kind of twofold. Number one, you know, we might not think it's an emergency and we might think that it's something stupid that we're going to, but somebody, it's somebody's emergency, you know? So then, and I think on top of that, you know, the customer service, like we are here in my case for the citizens of South Burlington, right? Like, what are we going to do? Um, you know, is taking care of that baby our responsibility? No, but you know what? It's the right thing to do and it's the right thing to make sure that that baby's safe. So, you know, making sure that that, that is always in the front of your mind and making, you know, um, to make sure that that's, you know, that's what we're going to do. Um, that customer service is, is huge for me. Yeah, that's a definitely a good point. Lou, what do you think? No, I mean, so what <clears throat> I would say, first of all, let me say, I feel like we're leaving, uh, the institutions that we work for better than they were when we got there. But, and by that, I mean, the people are much more highly educated, much better trained. So I think we're, you know, it, we're, we're kind of, we've kind of, we're kind of the dinosaurs, right? So it's our time. So then we leave it in good hands, right? We've entrusted. And here, here's what I will say. I'll echo, echo what Micah said. Yes. Provide good service, provide the best service you can. But more importantly than that to me is always do the right thing because you know what the right thing is yeah. and it, and you know when you don't do the right thing yeah and the last thing i w- i would ever close with is you got to take care of one another yeah you know because when things go bad and things go bad yeah each other is all you're going to have. Yeah. Yeah. So you really, really got to take care of one another. Yeah. I I always think of that, you know, losing the side of the trees through the forest. You know, I remember we were, we were downtown one night and a a mom comes back and she says, Hey, I locked my keys in my car. You know, I got to get home. My kids are waiting for me. Like I'm really having a hard time. we got a big parking lot next central. And you know, she comes upstairs and you know, the first guy that interacts with her, like, well, we don't do lockouts. Yeah. And it's like, Oh, come on, bro. Like we don't do lockouts. So we go upstairs and then of course, Rob Pettit, my old partner, yeah. like knowing, uh, throwing gasoline on the fire, like he always does, you know, leans his head out of the kitchen. is like, chief, you know, they won't let me do a lockout. And there's a little, you know, mom that needs to get into a car. And then the chief comes in and is like, 
are we really having this discussion? You got a taxpayer that needs to get home to her family. You got the ability to fix that. He's like, can you solve that problem? Rob's like, absolutely. And he's like, go solve the problem and stop yeah. bothering me. And yeah. it's like, <clears throat> you, you get so much red tape wrapped around there. Don't forget, like, if you can help someone, that's why you're there. And that's why a lot of us got into it. You know, and we don't want to get so wrapped up in like, well, our policy, you know, you know <clears throat> there are policies for a reason. But if it's, you know, always do that risk versus benefit. If yep. there's not a high risk and you're going to benefit somebody, you know, and you're good about that. <laughs> you know, I completely agree with you, Michael, <clears throat> but I, I mean, Nick, but I would caution you. I just remember one day that Woody and I let this woman into her apartment. Yeah. And about an hour and a half later, her boyfriend, her ex-boyfriend came over and got us yeah. and wanted to know why her whole, his whole apartment was completely destroyed and ransacked. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. so, yeah. you, so you do have to be able to, like that probably wouldn't float so good nowadays. But yeah, you did, I know, yeah. right? Yeah, and we can we can find out ways to mitigate that. You know, you can get a PD guy there to verify yeah. the reg or whatever, you know, but that that's a really funny story. So yeah. and I've, I've heard of that before, you know, people cutting locks off bikes that weren't theirs. Yeah. You know, just, you know, do a little research, but. All right, gentlemen. Well, I appreciate you being here. Thanks for uh, joining us, and hopefully you can tune in for another episode soon. Thanks, gentlemen. Thank Thank you. you.